We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right. Uh, we'll turn our attention to some baseball now. Uh, the opening weekend was a good one for the Mets. Uh, I was kidding, but... Actually, people actually, the Yankee fans are annoyed already. Uh, Stanton's already on the DL. Not the DL, not, not the DL anymore. The, the IL. The IL yes. now, the 10-day list. The book is 108 uh, stitches. Ron Darling with Daniel uh, Paisner, who I do not know. Uh, yeah. But uh, the uh, publisher is St. Martin's Press. This is not Ronnie's first book, of course. Uh, he wrote the book about Game 7, 1986. So he's back with another book, uh, the... Very talented broadcaster, Ron. Welcome. How are you? Oh, uh, good, Mike. It's great to be here. How's the uh, How's the start of your baseball season? Well, the the start. I mean, remember last year I did a start too. It was eleven and one. Everyone's yeah. happy when things are good. Um, you hit your ba- first bad part. That's when you really see what kind of team you have. But uh, um, well, tell the Mets fans what do you think of this team? Um, you know what? Uh, I really like this team in this way: is that yes, they have some older players. Um, Cano can still play, by the yes, way. Yes, he can. He can still play. And, um, but they got some, they're getting a little, I don't know if it's luck. It's not luck, right? But uh, they're getting a break now where it looks like the players they bring up Alonzo can, really can play. play. Alonzo can hit. McNeil can McNeil play. can rake. He can hit. I don't he know if he can feel, but he can hit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So at least you're seeing some uh, a young exuberance, some young emotion, young talent to combine with kind of the the, the old guard. So um, that, that to me is, I think, exciting to go along with their fine pitching. Yeah, they definitely, uh, and they do have uh, fine pitching. And yesterday, at least they mounted a little comeback. Uh, and, you know, they need another right-handed bat in the outfield for sure. I mean, I don't know if Braxton or, or Ligaris is going to give them anything offensively. But if they get one more bat offensively, or Alonzo is going to be a big hit. Because I think the catcher will hit. And, you know, Cano will hit. Uh, Conforto will hit. Yeah. yeah. It looks like McNeil will hit. So you got enough there to put it together. A demo will be good enough. I don't know. At least he'll walk a lot. I don't know how much he'll hit. But the bottom line is they need one more righty guy that can hit. I, I don't disagree with you. I think Unless when, Davis hits. I don't know if he'll hit. Maybe. But uh, you looked at that lineup yesterday, uh, and the lineup yesterday was not the same lineup against the left-hander right. Corbin that it was the first two games. So you're going to uh, – Mickey and, and the powers that be are going to have to find some way or with the guys that they have on, on that team – uh, to deliver. Maybe Broxton and Ligaris have to play in the outfield at the same time against lefties, and, and hopefully that'll work. Who knows? But I'll tell you this. To be fair, they don't have guys that look like Soto. They don't have guys that look like Turner. Those guys are better-looking players than the Mets have. Their young players are, look like a different class. Soto looks like a different class player. He yeah. just looks like he's better. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Trey Turner is a very, very underappreciated player. player. Very good player. He's a very good player. Yeah. And, Soto, and Soto's scary-looking. You know, Soto reminds me now he's a different player, but because of his plate discipline at such a young age, he reminds me of a young Bobby Abreu. Wow. In uh, the way that he's got some pop and he can do some things. Uh, Bobby, of course, was a, a great uh, a base runner, too. Um, and then this kid, Robles, 
you saw everything under the sun with him. Yes. I mean, you saw mistakes. Terrible you bases, saw play, raw base talent, running, right. yep. um, outfield mistakes. So it's going to be yep. uh, interesting to see how he grows during the year. Yeah, and they and they're pitching. They got good front line pitching too. Major. I don't know about their bullpen, but they got front line pitching. They do. Their their bullpen had a hard time of it though. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, the book. Yes. Uh, just came out, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's coming, weeks? No, it's coming out tomorrow. Oh, it's tomorrow. coming out tomorrow. Yeah. It just came out. Okay. I so, would think okay. in the book industry, uh, April Fool's Day is probably a bad day to come out with us. Oh, so. that's okay. Maybe. I don't know. Now, your second book, yeah. okay, your first one was well-received. Uh, your theme on this one, I was just reading through it today when I was driving in. Yeah. I drive, and it's funny, uh, you told... You know, it, 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 for the guys I know, you told the story about Mickey and Willie and the and Mickey yeah, yeah. and and yeah. Billy in the restaurant. Yeah. I can't even think of you going over there because I have been in places with those guys. Yes, and they were rough. They, I mean, let's I, be honest. You talked about it as being a young player. If you were pre Mickey Betty Ford, yes, Mickey Billy and Whitey together, that especially Willie and Mickey, they were tough because I, they get. Loaded and they were surly. They were tough. Those guys. I did not look up at all. I walked <laughs> I past can't even them imagine. and went. You're I was, at a table with I Mickey. Always had, and they wake you. They pull you over to their table, right? I always had a table in the back, and that's where I sat. Um, the owner of the establishment was a guy named Jerry Casale. He had been a pitcher for the Red Sox, a kid from Brooklyn, and uh, he knew those guys. That's why they were there. And um, and they could drink. Uh, they they had an unbelievable time. But I'll tell you, See, they drink every day. Those guys. That's they, why they, they, just, they could drink. They just didn't. You you wouldn't have thought they had a drink. Yeah, I mean that's what just, I mean. It doesn't affect them. They it, just could drink all day. It didn't affect them. And uh, I just uh, but when they saddled me with the check, I just <laughs> you know when I was that age, Mike. I don't know about you, but I had about two hundred dollars in the bank, and um, and I said to myself, well, I could pay for this dinner. But I certainly won't be able to pay my rent this month. That's pretty funny. <laughs> you know that? And and they weren't used to putting it in their pocket for the drinks either. You know that? No. They never paid for anything. No. And, you know, it's funny. A couple of times we saw Mickey. Now, remember, Mickey Mantle to me was God, okay? Yeah. I mean, when I grew up, of course. he was God. So when I met Mickey Mantle the first time, I was scared to death. I was the only time I could. All years I did this, the only time I was ever really intimidated. The first time we talked to the president, yeah. I was scared. Wow. He, you know, we talked to it was Bill Clinton was president, okay. and I was nervous because it was Bill Clinton. He was, he was actually the president. Of course. Okay, he calls us. Okay, so, but the other time was Mickey, and the first time, Mickey invites Dog and myself to his restaurant, and he's doing a book signing. And this at, is the, this the one at Central Park South. Yes, and he's at fifth. He he invites us to come start our show at at Mickey Mantle's, and he's at the bookstore on Fifth Avenue. Thousand people online. Thousand people. So when he comes there, he's already signed a thousand books when he gets to us and he's not in a good mood. <laughs> and he starts to drink and boy, he was rough. Yeah. And he came on here and did an interview with us and he was half in a bag. Jeez. And it was, it, it was, but then I interviewed him later on after he had, when he wasn't drinking anymore, when he was, you know, past the Betty Ford. He was part. like a cuddly bear. He's like, he? he's like the nicest guy in the world. It was like such a, you felt so bad for him at that point. But he was a tiger when he was drinking. He boy. was. He a, really was. And Billy, was always that way. You know, I, I had uh, spent a lot of time around Billy because I knew his uh, driver. I'm trying to think of his name. Was it Tex or something like that? Was his driver. He used to drive him around. Plus, Billy, well, was in the Oakland area right. at times right. uh, in, the, in those in those days. So um, I know the only time I ever felt that way, because I'm a kid from Massachusetts and I'm 57 years old, is the first time I ever met Bobby Orr. Okay. was the same way. And I just couldn't, I couldn't say anything, couldn't speak. And then anyone who's been around Bobby, Bobby Orr, like the, the nicest sweetest, guy in the world. I had him in here to do a book. World. I had never met him. 
uh, and you know, I watched him when he was, you know, we're like the same age, but he was like 17. He was already Bobby Orr. That's I right. mean, you know, he was God. That was right. it. That's in right. New England, people they grow up with, the, you know, he's God, and people don't realize in Boston, you know, Bobby Orr is he's bigger than anybody. When, I mean, they worship they, him. When they won their first Stanley Cup, he scored the game-winning goal where Barkley Plager kind of tripped them up yep. as he scored the a great, pass great photo, yeah. And all of us kids at eight, seven, eight, nine years old, that's how we would trip each other all ice hockey games long to just to try to recreate uh, that great goal. You know, it's funny. You talked about uh, one asked those guys about Kekic and, 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 and Fritz Peterson, which is funny. You know that? Because I remember living, you know, as a kid living through that, Such hearing about that. And, you know, it's funny. You know, I wish they would have told you some wild stuff because those guys, they probably had their own wild stories themselves. Because Mickey was, was re- you know, he was Mickey Mantle. I mean, he was handsome. He was Mickey Mantle. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, he was a, you talked about Elster being a ladies' man. You imagine what Mickey was like? Mickey Mickey was what every one young boy wanted to be. Right. right. That's, who, that's who, who it was. And then, you know, the whole thing about this book, 108 Stitches, is that, there's 108 stitches in a ball. Everything's connected. So I tried to connect all the people I know. And, of course, Mel Stottlemyre is connected. What a great Peterson guy. And Mike Kekic, the late, great uh, Mel Stottlemyre. Right. Your pitching coach. My pitching coach. And not only that, um, um, my father figure when right. I was a ball and, player. And one of the nicest guys you ever met. And, and I could tell you this because I, I, I lived those days. I came of age as he came to the Yankees in 64. I remember the 64 season and the 64 World Series like it was yesterday. Yeah. And he came up as a rookie, and he became a huge figure. He pitched them to the pennant, 9-3 and three down That's the stretch. Right, nine wins. And pitched in great in the World Series, challenged Bob Gibson. And he then was their team through all those bad years. That's and right. people have no idea, he was so good on bad teams where he pitched great and lost game after game and never complained and pitched nine innings and would lose behind an error. Or he pitched 40 shutouts in his career. He should have been a Hall of Famer. He was that good. We used to, kiddingly, uh, uh, when anyone uh, said something disparaging or whatever, we'd say, check uh, Mel Stoudemire's uh, uh, back of his baseball card. Because, you know, routinely 26 complete games, 28 complete games. Unbelievable. And, um, he lost 20 games. But you had to be good to lose 20 games because well, exactly. he pitched all the time. But his, his whole thing is that, you know, today's world, he would have had that shoulder um, fixed and right. he would have been fine. And you know, injuries in those days for starting pitchers. He was pitched a death great, mark. and he missed the eras. You know, he, he and right. Mattingly both missed the eras as great players. He would have been a legendary figure. He would have been a Hall of Famer for sure. He, he would have. And he was a great, look how good a pitching coach he was. He, he was Two an, stints with you guys and then with the Yankees. Amazing pitching coach. And I, I was thinking about, you know, one of the things that you forget about coaches is sometimes they have to give up what they'd really like to do to be your coach. And and that entire time that he was mentoring Dwight Gooden and Sid Fernandez and all of us, his young sons were becoming really good pitchers. Right. And Mel Jr., who's now a pitching coach, was well on his way to being a star, hurt his arm. And his son Todd had, had a really solid major league career. But while they were learning the game, he was teaching it to us. Which is amazing. And you guys, you know, it's funny. I always said this. There were great teams that should have won more. Your 86 team should have won more than one World Series. Now, you didn't have a wild card, which hurt. Yes. But you guys should have, and, and let's be honest, you were lucky to win you won, when you time. did because Big it was time. the worst managed World Series both ways of all time. <laughs> That's right. Davey was terrible, and, and in, in the other dugout, he was worse. Houston was a little okay. lucky series, too. Yeah. And, I mean, well, that was a great series, yeah, great though. series, yeah. That was played real hard. The Red Sox but series was a mess. But it could have went either way, though. I'm just the saying. The Red Sox yeah. series was a mess. <laughs> it, was. it was a mess. It was. But... Uh, you tell a story in the book about 
uh, Lenny, who I know very well. Yeah, okay, yeah, and, and yeah. I can tell, you know, and you're not going to tell too many tales about Lenny, I know, but what he did to Oil Cam Boyd was just unbelievable, right? Well, yeah, well, you know, um, in those days, and, and if you read the whole paragraph, you know, um, Lenny had a, a had a way about him, and uh, and I know that yeah, he was a psycho. He, yeah, he was <laughs> a little crazy, and um, but I, I think what the paragraph was really trying to say, and you know, as I was writing this book, I'm writing it, you know, as the NFL is going through their thing, as the Kaepernick right. thing is going the through their thing. The world has changed. The world has changed. Right. You know what was said 33 years ago, and a fraternity of, of, of uh, young boys uh, trying to play a sport, young men trying to play a sport, is that as you look back on it when you're 57 or 58 years old, you're kind of ashamed of the compl- complicitness uh, of, of yourself uh, to these kind of things because I will be uh, uh, brutally honest, you know, that listen to Lenny get on Oil Can Boyd, but as soon as Lenny hit that home run, which was the biggest hit we needed in the World Series, I was the first one to congratulate him. But so, let's be honest. Yeah. If, that, if Oil Cam Boyd had a different temperament, if he was Bob Gibson, Lenny's got the first one in his ear. Exa- exactly. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that in those days, um, people tried to rile each other in a lot of different ways. Uh, you hope it didn't happen that way. But uh, the, what there I was a lot of on, bench. You was huge. You were, there was still bench jockeying in your. It's a, it's a foregone thing now. They don't do it anymore, right? I don't. But, I don't think they do it to the extent it was they, done. Then. It was still done in your era, right? You tried to. There was intimidation uh, on both sides, uh, trying to you know say the loudest thing. They at the knew wrong who had rabbit ears and who didn't, right? Exactly, and uh, and I think that you know as you look back on it now, you're. I'm a little embarrassed that uh, it took place and that you were a part of it. But at the same time, when you're in the middle of this thing, um, you wish you were on uh, the, the right side of history. Uh, sometimes you're not. Yeah, so that just what shows how meant. much the co- – you mentioned it in yeah, there yeah. too, and Ronnie has a good point. Ronnie is a, mentions in here a couple of guys. If you remember Kevin Elster. Yeah, yeah. Good hitting, good fielding shortstop, handsome kid from California. Great kid. Ronnie ran with Billy Bean. Okay, <laughs> from you know, Ronnie was also a very, as you as you know a very handsome player when he was young and still you know still a good looking guy. But you guys were single. You're running around and it's a different world. Okay, you mentioned that. Now you're talking about what it's like in this generation where things have changed. But let's be honest, you guys as ball players, you know, were run, you were healthy young guys running around and going out. Yeah, we were we were left unfettered. Um, you'd be embarrassed by some of the behavior today, but it was 33, 35 years ago, and uh, and things have changed. And I think that's probably the difference in this book from the other two. I think the other two were more of a uh, introspective look at kind of what I did. This one's kind of just a fun saloon book about uh, uh, things that I've seen. And, and uh, some of them are probably too honest for some people, but uh, uh, honesty, I think, plays for people who are reading. Did you ever did, did you ever think that Billy Bean would you know would, would you ever wind up being like you know considering what the guy you knew because you were pretty close with Billy Bean right Billy, Billy Bean was a, a tremendous guy a tremendous athlete maybe one of the best athletes I'd ever seen um, there was no doubt in my mind that at some point he'd figure it out but the hardest part about this sport baseball is that at some point you figure out how to hit or you don't you know you can either hit or you can't and it never was Billy's time. Um, to do that, but uh, the way he's transformed himself and taken all of his great talent and uh, and um, intelligence and turned into what he's done in Oakland. I mean, what they did last year in Oakland is just uh, amazing. To get into that 
wild card game against the Yankees uh, um, almost boggles the mind. And, you know, you talk, one of the guys that you spend time before we break, and we're talking with Ronnie Dolan, the book is 108 Stitches uh, with Daniel Paisner and it's uh, St. Martin Press. You also, uh, more than brush paths, you spent a lot of time with Dave Duncan, who was probably the greatest pitching coach of all time. He was with Tony La Russa for 27 years. He transformed how many guys from journeymen into stars. Everyone <laughs> could never figure out. I always said, if I had a team, I would go get a manager for a million and pay Dave Duncan 10 because <laughs> Dave Duncan tra- he transformed the whole pitching staff. You could bring anybody in there. He figured out how to make them good. What was Dave Duncan's secret? Well, one thing, if you ask uh, Tony La Russa, he would never manage a team without Dave Duncan hey, as a smart. pitching coach. He's smart. Um, what he did was um, he was one of the first man, uh, uh, pitching coaches to track every pitch, track where every pitch was hit, track how hard it was hit, and all of those things on what pitch you threw. So on your day of game, he wouldn't talk to you as much, although he would, but his catching staff, whoever was catching that day, had a blueprint from Dunk on how to get these hitters out. And what he so was he able- used the catcher to make you better. Yes, and what, what, he, w- what he would do is that he, he knew your ability. He knew what you could and could not do. And I remember we had a conversation when I first came to Oakland, and he said, you know, um, do you remember the pitcher in the 80s that you were? I said, yeah. He goes, well, you need to forget about that guy because he's gone. And the only way you're going to get people out is doing these three or four basic things. And I really um, uh, hitched my wagon to his star, and, uh, and, it, and it, it gave me – Two and a half, three more years of my career because when I got there, I was just about done. And uh, my fir- first full year under him, I probably pitched some of the best games I ever pitched in the major leagues, and I won 15 games. I know wins don't count anymore. They counted then. And, uh, <laughs> they and, still should count. And, you know uh, and he, uh, he was transformative in that way, and I'll owe him for giving me that one great last year. One thing, uh, because it's an interesting story, uh, and he's been in the news lately, how about the way Tom Seaver befuddled Dave Duncan? Uh, I, it's one. It's one of it's my. A, it's a very interesting point in the, in the book. It's it's the it's one of the best stories I've ever heard in baseball. And and the gist of the story, very quickly, folks, is that Tom Seaver is on the White Sox pitching staff. Duncan's the pitching coach. He comes out and the bases are loaded. The left-handed hitters up. It's two outs, and they think that Seaver's getting tired. Duncan comes out and asks him, "Do." You know, are you all right? Can you get this last hitter out? And Seaver says, yes, absolutely. Duncan goes back to the bench. Seaver throws one pitch way out of the strike zone. High ball one. Throws the next pitch way out of the strike zone. Ball two. Next pitch he throws a changeup. The left-handed hitter hits a ground ball to second base, four to three. Gets to the bench. And Duncan sits next to Seaver, who now is done for the night. And kiddingly says, well, Tom, I wasn't sure. I came out of there. You went 2-0. and oh. He go, uh, Tom said, well, I had to. He said, well, what are you talking about? Well, I had to get to the changeup. The only way I can get there is throw two fastballs. And Dunk was like, I'm not worthy of this guy. I'm going to leave him alone. He's, he the threw the two pitches two out pitches? of the zone to set up the ball and said, I knew he'd roll it to second. That's that's, un- that's unbelievable. <laughs> that's crazy. Seaver was as good as I've ever seen. He was. You know, day in and day out. That's he right. really was. He was even great at the end when he, yeah, when he was I mean, that's throwing. unbelievable, huh? Even yeah. Dunk said he couldn't understand it, that, right? That's the science of pitching. Yeah, unbelievable. Back after this. All right, we're back. Uh, Ronnie Darling with us to book 108 Stitches. You know, Ronnie, when I see the game now, yeah, and this is, I've been, uh, you know, you played it. You, you were around it forever. I've been around it my whole life. Here's the part I don't like. And I understand we live in a world now, and every sport's the same, and people talk it. 
you saw, I, I see guys on TV now talking about war, you know, talking about wins above replacement, talking about stuff all the time, talking about possessions per 100 in the NCAA tournament games now. Here's what they do, possessions per 100, okay? You know, there's stuff like this. Yeah. I, I understand that times change, but baseball's becoming a game now that's being run by a bunch of guys who, who could be basically hedge fund managers and they could run quants on Wall Street. Yeah. I mean, you can't, that's going to hurt. They wonder why the sport might be losing some appeal. You got to have characters in the sport. You got to have personality in the sport. You got to have athletes who have some freedom. Yeah. They want to manage everything from upstairs now. You can't control the sport that tightly. Yeah, I, I think that, um, hey, listen, all, all information is good information. Um, how you use that information and transform that from on the page to uh, the players, unless the players have really changed from my day, it's very difficult to be able to quantify, understand, and put it into practice. And what I mean, let's, let's just say that in a, a macro world, um, this pitcher throws uh, his slider 66% of the time in situations where runners are in scoring position. Well, that gives you a hedge, right? It gives you a chance. But if you faced him three days ago and he struck you out on three fastballs, well, that's got to be a factor too. So um, I, I just think that uh, I understand um, the mathematics, analytics, algorithms, all the things that they're, they're trying to use in the game. And I understand in a macro world, it really works. You're talking about possession uh, per every 100. Talking about um, this is if you do this over the course of 162, the process will end up with this. But how do you explain to a team that's lost four in a row and they need to win this game? And eschew the bunt and say, you know, you don't bunt in these situations. You just never do. It doesn't uh, produce. The, the math says it doesn't produce runs. But your team needs it bad. And occasionally you have to have a feel as a manager that you have to go off the book to do something different to give your team a better chance on that day in that moment. Not over the process of 162 games. So that is, I think that's the real interesting thing to me is that you have front offices having more and more power, you have managers. Well, now they've run the Socha and the Buck and these oh, yeah. guys out of the sport. Now, yeah. They've, run the, yeah, they've run the guys Girardi. out of the sport. So yeah. you have uh, more and more power uh, by, by the people that are not on the field. You have inexperienced, less power from the people who are on the field, albeit very talented. You have to get together and mix all this stuff and figure out you know, how to get the job done because the three hours from 7 and 10 – I don't care what they tell you. It's the most important thing, right? And you got to be a little bit of the guy who can walk out on the field and say, here's the game, okay? They throw it, I hit it. They hit it, I catch it. There's still a guy who can do that who doesn't – you can't tell him where to play. You can't tell him how to play. Give him a bat and a, and a glove. He's going to go out there and he's going to do the job because he's just got talent. Well, you, you were talking about McNeil before. I don't think if you put McNeil in a computer, it's going to spit out a guy who can really right. play at a high level. Well, Pete Rose. But it, but you watch him, and you go, he's a baseball player. Right. And I, I, I get asked by people all the time, well, they're all baseball players. If you watch baseball long enough, you know that no, there's No, there's certain, some guys who are just natural baseball players. They're just baseball players. players. That's it. That's they it. they, they don't think it, it. They don't do anything. They just go out and play. They just react, see it, That's and it. hit it. And I think uh, you know that that is the, the, the most difficult part right now is just the – all this information, all uh, the managers have to get it to their players in, in the right situation, 
And then once 7 to 10 happens, time of game, um, the manager's got to have a great feel and run a bullpen. It can't run a bullpen now. Can't manage. And it's also not a fun job, I don't think, anymore managing because, you know, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, you're answering to a guy upstairs or a bunch of guys Mm -hmm. who, A, may never have played or not. uh, That's irrelevant. Whether they played in high school, played in college, didn't play in college, Mm -hmm. or just went to college and went to some Ivy League, and they're experts on this stuff. Okay, we understand that. But now that guy has a mapped out – he's mapped the game out for the game plus played. So why didn't you make this move I wanted you to make in this spot – you know, this was how it was supposed. Well, well, then what do you need the manager for? Yeah. Let let the guy who's doing. So the general manager has usurped all of, all the power in, in in baseball completely. Yeah, the, uh, and he's got a staff of his guys now. He's got his guys, but he's he's become the power source in baseball. There's there's a script like feel uh, to most games uh, that you can see happening in Major League Baseball. The ironic part is is that the people who have the most power, um, it's still the managers who get fired. You know what I mean? So yeah. that to me is uh, always uh, um, interesting. Yeah. So the managers have to find a way uh, to not only uh, do that, but protect protect themselves too to make sure because the bottom line will always be the same, Mike. If you win, they overlook a lot of stuff. And if you lose, you're in big trouble. Well, listen, you played for a guy yeah. who was as arrogant and cocky a guy. <laughs> Let me tell you, he he hated me. Hated, I didn't know that. I oh, know that. Davey hated me. Really? Because he thought that, how dare you sit there on the air and, and second-guess me? You can't second-guess me. Or you don't have the yeah, right yeah. to second-guess And we used to fight about it all the time. He, he went crazy on it because he felt like, you, you, you know, listen, you just do that. And, you know, the other guys don't do it. Why do you do it? And I just say, oh, I don't agree with your move. That's all. I, I said it before, and I didn't say it afterwards. I said it before. But he got so mad, he and I used to fight like crazy. Really? Yeah. That's, that's funny. You yeah. and I share something, because yeah. he wasn't a big fan of mine no, either. And, you know, and he was a guy who said, I used to go to Earl Weaver. Yeah. And, you know, he used to fight with Earl Weaver about it. He thought he was right and Earl was wrong, right? Well, so he took it, and, and you probably thought he was wrong, and you were right. So, well, I mean, that's how it was. I don't but know he it, was one of the first guys to have stats and everything, too, right? He, he did. I don't know if it was wrong or right. The the, the two stories about Davey, um, the, the one thing he used to throw in my face all the time is he, he'd say, you know, you're an Ivy League kid. You're 22 years old. I got a kid who's 19 that knows more about pitching than you. I was like, you're absolutely right. But he used to rub that in my face all the time. And it was true. It was true. I couldn't say anything. And, and the, the other thing about Davey, we had, a, we had a game in San Francisco. And I pitched poorly. I ended up winning the game. But I pitched poorly. It was, you know, like a six-inning effort, a lot of walks, a lot of people on base. Very lucky to, to have um, somehow uh, won the game or whatever. And I remember Davey um, used to always kind of needle me in the press. That was his thing. He said, you know, if Darling doesn't throw his curveball, he'll never win in this league. Um, I, so I, I took that in, and he and I had a, I don't know, we just had a clash. Uh, um, you know, I knew he knew baseball, um, but I didn't take everything that he told me as gospel. You know, I thought about it. Is it right? Is it wrong for me? And um, so the next game I pitched against Pittsburgh, I didn't throw one curveball. Because it was like, I'm going to teach him. I don't have to do that. Didn't throw one curveball. Threw a shutout against a bad Pirates team. So I, I picked my spot. And uh, uh, to the reporters after the game, told you, when he uses his curveball, he's an amazing pitcher. And I didn't throw one the entire <laughs> game. So um, that's the kind of battles we used to have, he and I. But he was right. You know, it was, it was difficult at times because um, young Doc was just so 
so good and so bright at such a young age. And I was he a did a great job of bringing you guys along. I was a work in progress. He for a really long time. did. He yeah. was he when he came took you guys as a nurturing. Now let's be honest. You had a lot of talent. You brought of course, in of course. you brought in Keith. You brought in Gary Carter. That's you right. brought in some great players and mixed them with all this young talent that you guys had. Right. All you pitchers who were wonderful. Dykstra, who they never even knew how good he was. That's right. I mean, they just they fought it the whole time, right. but they didn't want to give him a chance. But he was big in so many big spots. And clutch, too. Yes. Uh, they uh, Hojo, who they wanted to force feed, but Ray Knight was always a big cog for you guys, That's always. Right. Great leader, right? I mean, one of your really important guys was well, Ray Knight. When you, when you think about it, at some point, you could have considered Strawberry the best right fielder in the Absolutely. game, Carter the best catcher, Hernandez and Gooden the best pitcher. Best pitcher, and Hernandez one of the best first basemen no in question. the game because Mattingly was across, across the no question across the hall. <laughs> no, and 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 gamers too, great gamers, smart guys, good fielders, good hitters, good players. Well, you mentioned before earlier, and I think that's the one thing that uh, anyone who played on those '80s teams feels exactly like you feel. So we should have been a great uh, one of the greatest teams to play in the history of the game. Instead, we were a team that had a great year. That's yes. all. And uh, that's uh, uh, disappointing. Well, 88 um, was a killer. 88 was Set a killer. Set the franchise back forever. A- 88 yeah. was a killer, and I'm one of the biggest reasons. I pitched uh, awful on Game 7. But I think the, the 86 team is the only team, Mike, that I had ever played on that it was just a, a type A personalities everywhere. Somehow we came together for that one season, and that was the only team I ever played on that didn't want to just beat people. At times, they wanted to embarrass teams. Yeah, you know, if and it was did. five to one. They wanted to beat you ten to one. And did you I guys never, were cocky? I never. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the worst. Yeah. The worst. Yeah. 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 No one liked you guys, right? I mean, no one liked you guys. I mean, you guys were really cocky. Uh, every place we went, we used to. Um, we go to Atlanta. They'd have three thousand. We'd go there because they had Coca Cola there. Right. right. A lot of New York people. We'd have twenty five, thirty thousand, whatever. And um, uh, yeah, we did feel a little bit like P.T. Barnum that when we came in town, everyone was excited to see us. Very cocky team, um, lots of fights. Um, you did something that's very hard to do, though, Ron. You yeah. guys took the team, away, the city away from the Yankees, which is hard to do. You guys had enough personalities For that a you short did it. Period. Yeah. You did take the team away, and the no, city away. You guys were the team. There's no question. It's uh, and that's hard to do. to do here. It's hard to do. Yeah, and you guys did it. It did, it did a great job. It wasn't easy in the Steinbrenner years to do that. Uh, and, and you guys course. did it. And, I, and, and it bothered him because those teams, he wanted to collect them. He wanted to collect everybody he could from those teams because those teams bothered him. Well, you know you know how um, you knew that George was looking across to Queens is that he would mirror a lot of moves. Like Dwight Gooden came up and was great. And um, he brought up his young 19-year-old. Who was the right-hander? Jose... Um, he was great in the 1990 World Series uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know why I can't uh, think of his name. Great right-hander with a slider. Rio? Uh, Rio. Yeah. So he brought up Rio. Um, you know, um, Matt, Matt, they had unbelievable hitting teams. I mean, they no, always they could hit. They, they just couldn't pitch. They, 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 they couldn't find enough They pitch. couldn't pitch. Yeah, and yeah. they would trade away good people for pitches, and, lo- and they'd never pitch. They'd right. never pitch, you know? Yeah. That was it. They could, You know, they hit like crazy. They had at one point... Ricky Henderson, Mattingly, Jack Clark, and Winfield. Winfield, yeah, hitting one, two, three, four. I know. Jeez. I mean, they and they would score a million runs, but they and they'd finish second every year. They I, just couldn't pitch. I remember in spring training during those times. That was the time that the Yankees and Mets stopped playing each other. Yeah, like George didn't even want a part nope. of, uh, of playing those days. But that's what made it great. You know that rivalry, and and of course George. Uh, 
uh, transformed uh, what you think. But of, you guys of were able executives. to be that big a team yeah. to take over the town. You guys really did. I mean, you had you know you had the TV people, you had the city. The, the people who were like, it was like hip to be a Met fan. It was like, you know, there were people who followed you guys. You guys were like stars. You really were. It, it, was, uh, it was an interesting period in the city. Um, and, uh, boy, I'm glad we're a part of it. You really were. Yeah, I mean, that big was a part. big, you know, that and winning that year, as, as crazy as it was, it, yeah. had to be, it had to mean a lot to finally win that year, right? Well, we got, you know, like you said, a lot of, a lot of bounces went our way. It's hard uh, to win a World Series. That's the, that's the thing. And I think that when... When you look at those teams, I, I, I hear people say we should have won three World Series. I say I that, but should, it's hard to win, though. I think we should have been in three World Series. Right. You never you know, know if you're going to win Winning them. or losing, right. who knows. But right. um, luckily, the, everything bounced right to get one because it would be uh, – I probably wouldn't be on the show if we had one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes a difference having a ring. Oh, big time. It really does. Yeah. You know, players who don't. In this new era, it's a big deal when you don't have a ring. It really is a big deal. I, I think about the shape or arc of your life if you don't have a ring. It changes a lot of stuff. You know, when I hear people all the time say, you know, that, now it's uh, easy to say because he's on TV all the time through this NCAA stuff and, and of course, uh, um, the NBA is, you know, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley never won. Never I mean, if won. anyone who watched Charles Barkley play. Great player. Never uh, won. One of the great players. Never won. And, you know, that hasn't really Dan changed. Marino. That hasn't really changed. Dan Marino. Dan I saw, Fouts. I saw Dan Marino in his, the first Super Bowl. They played against the Redskins at the Rose Bowl. My uh, roommate from college played on that team. He was a rookie. Didn't play a lot, but he played on that team. So I was able to go to the game. And uh, my, my feeling after that game was the same as everyone. Well, Marino lost his first one. He'll, you know, he'll play an Never play another one. It's amazing. amazing. Never did. And, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you just never know, but it does make a difference. It, it's, it's a big, it, it's an empty feeling for those guys. It's a funny thing. I always say the guy who's a really good player, he, especially in the NBA, he goes to get his ring. And if he has his ring, he goes to get his money. If he doesn't have his ring, he goes to get his ring. That's, that's how it works. That's so, right. Yeah. You know, that's what he does. And if he has the ring, then he doesn't worry about it. He goes and gets his contract. I'm just thinking that there must be times when Charles is in a room and there's probably a lot of ancillary players that weren't that great talking about the championship sure. year. Of like Robert Horry, who's got like seven or eight <laughs> exactly. of them, you know? And I'm sure Charles is like, you got to be kidding me. I got to listen to these guys again. It's probably true. <laughs> so it makes a big so – so you have given it a thought of what oh. it's like if you didn't have a ring, right? I, I've given it a lot of thought. Not having a ring, uh, I gave it a thought if the Mets didn't come back in Game 7 because I did not pitch well in Game 7. You know, what? what is your uh, a station in – being a, a Mets fan, you know, what, what, how do you think of uh, a certain guy? Um, yeah, they're, they're, and, and, and the third thing, and most important, that, you know, I was lucky enough to, to have a, a real nice career with the Mets, but I played every year on great teams, and that helps when you're a pitcher, and you're playing on teams who can catch it, they can hit it, um, they can do a lot of things. You know, you look at a lot of players, say, boy, you know, his career is so-and-so. Um, I know that part of having a great start to my career is that I play with great teams. So do you think uh, the book, again, is uh, 108 Stitches? Are you making any appearances? Are, uh, yeah, are you doing I'm, uh, any bookstores? I, I'm signing at every bookstore, including the one in Huntington. <laughs> oh, you are? I am. And, and that's a good one. That's, that's a, a good very one. good one. On New York Avenue, they do a great job. I've been there. I've been there a couple of times. I've yeah. never done a book, but yeah. I've, I've, I did an appearance there with Dog once. 
and uh, they, they're very good people. Uh, it's on New York Avenue. It's a huge store. They do a great job. They really do. They really yes. do. And then uh, I'm going to one in New Jersey tonight. But I book was just, binders? Is that, book, uh, that's book, another good book one. Book review, book yep. binders. They're all good ones. Yes. And, uh, but I was thinking, Mike, this is my third book. But for you, really. Bookends, the, too, yes. Bookends. Yeah, bookends. Book review is in Huntington. The other one's book binders, right? right? Yeah. But I was thinking and that bookends, uh, yes. this is my third book. But for you, Mike. They'll really just need one book. No, no, I'm not doing one. You know what? I, I, I've been asked, and I yeah. actually sat with the publisher last year, and then I said, you know what? Here's what it was. It was so many appearances afterwards. I said, oh, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I just said, you know what? I'd rather, I don't want to make all these appearances. It's like, I, what do I want to make all these appearances for? And they want so much that, first of all, yeah. I don't even know if I'll ever, I, I would say right now I'll never do one. But okay. you know what? You have a, a million stories to tell. Yeah. I, you know, it's different for me. I've been on the air so much that, you know what? I might just let it just leave it alone. So, well, yeah. But you know what? Do you like doing the process? Do you I, like doing the books? I, I, I like doing the books. Um, I like that the time I have alone on the road can be spent with something productive. That's right. what I do. And, uh, and, uh, but I think the most difficult part is selling a book. That always, so you, That's hit, hard. you hit the That's nail hard, on the head. Maybe to, you could just do something in Madison Square Garden. Just, <laughs> yeah. Everyone show up. Listen, do, does the, is it ever get tedious? How many, how many games do you do a year now? Um, I do a hundred and, uh, does it ever get tedious on the road? Um, it, 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 oh, tedious on the road. Yes. Tedious traveling. Yes. Uh, but once the game starts, because of the nature of baseball, it's always fun because you just never know. You could come to the ballpark a few seasons ago with a team that's not going so good, and it's June 1st, and a, a kid like Santana throws a no-hitter. You just never know what's going to happen at the ballpark, and that's still the thrill. And your team has been together now how many years? It's our 14th year. Can you believe it? It's unbelievable. 14. Because you, you guys, and I don't say this, this is mm. it's true, you guys have a really good team, first of all. you got mm. guys who are, re first of all, you, you and, and Keith have your roles down and your chemistry down, yeah. and you have a guy who made the transition well. First of all, he's a very smart guy, Gary smart Cohen. Guy, yeah. And he was very reluctant to make that change from being a great – he was one of the greatest play-by-play -play guys of all time That's on the right. radio. That's he right. was right below Vince Scully. I thought he was number two. Yeah. Okay? Great. So – and on TV, it's a hard transition to because now you got to give it up and be the guy who feeds guys. you got to set up – it's an analyst sport on TV. you got to right. set guys up. And he's made the transition very well. You guys are a great – listen, you, are, you guys have become a great team because you've carved out a nice chemistry and you have your niches. You know what you're doing. You know what Keith's doing. You make Keith the eccentric – guy the whole thing and it works so uh it works really well it yeah, really has i know i know uh for keith for people who didn't hear this story about one minute before we came on air of our first game and if you know keith you know this is certainly uh, a way he rolls he uh looked me in the eye he said listen i do the hitting you do the pitching we'll go back and fight and, and they started the countdown for us to come on air and i was kind of processing he's like God, it's so simple. It's perfect. It's perfect. Exactly. It. It takes care of the traffic. Absolutely. Yeah. And Keith talks about all his wacky stuff. Oh. Uh, you know? And you're the Ivy League pitcher and the whole deal, you know? And it works well, you know? It's, sometimes I feel like it's an outstanding broadcast. Sometimes I feel like it's the Larry Sanders show. It like is. We're it's doing... good. You know what? It's good. It's, you guys got a good chemistry. It's worked well. So, uh, you know, thanks. listen, it either works or it doesn't work. That's, That's right. the bottom line. That's how teams are. They either work or they don't work. That's right, Mike. That's it. Well, good luck to you with the book. Thanks, Mike. Thank appreciate you. it. Thank Ron you Darling, back after this. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.